We are continuing this series that we are asking the big question of, who are you? Who are you? As Will said in the opening, we're talking about your identity in the kingdom of God, Uh, not who you think you are, not who you want to be, not what society, not what culture, all of those things has dictated to you sometimes, and I shouldn't say sometimes, uh, I like to use the phrasing, most of us have this phantom in our minds that we've created that is telling us who we should be, and we try to live up to this fake phantom, and we never will, but we allow it to control our lives. Uh, It's the phantom that tells us we're not man enough unless we do this, or we'll never be a good enough mom because we don't do that, or I'll never live up to being a father. All of these different things that we have in our mind that we think that we are supposed to do, and it just isn't real. But we all, again, I don't want to speak for you, I'll speak for myself, we have a tendency to chase after this phantom. And so we wanted to take this series as we are taking kind of before we jump into back into Matthew chapter 10 and ask these questions. Who are you? Um, What is your identity? How are you pursuing God? How are you pursuing holiness uh, in these different areas? We talked first of your time. How are you pursuing holiness? How are you pursuing Christ-likeness in your time? Last week, we talked about how are you pursuing holiness in your resources, your things you own, things you have access to, and flat-out money. And then this week, how are you pursuing holiness in your gifts, talents, abilities, and experiences? Because all of those things make up you, who you are, and none of those things were by accident or by mistake. And I want to take just a moment to clarify these different things. The first one I mentioned is in your gifts. How are you pursuing holiness in your gifts? And when I say gifts, I mean these spiritual gifts. And I believe, and we'll talk about this someday, uh, we're going to be doing a second part to this message, by the way. Uh, This is going to be the big theological overview. When I say gifts, I believe these are spiritual gifts that the Scripture talks about uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. And these are the things that I believe upon salvation, upon making Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, that through the Holy Spirit you have and we are to practice and exercise those giftings. The second word I said is talents, and that's the difference. Talent's something that you are born with. Talent is something that might operate the same way, but you have this talent whether you know Christ or you don't. Uh, It's like if you are saying, like, I was a terrible basketball player, and then I came to know Christ, and now I can shoot the lights out of any gym I'm standing in. Uh, It just, that's the difference between a spiritual gift and a talent. The third one I said is your abilities. I have the ability to help you work on your home. Over my past life experience, I can come and help you do flooring and drywall. I don't like doing it. I really don't. But I can. I have this ability to help you fix your house. I'm too busy right now, so don't ask me after the message. I have a lot going on. The spiritual gifting comes alongside because if you're like, hey, can you come help us? True story. Another pastor who no longer lives in town said, can you come and and just drywall um, my bathroom ceiling? Um, I said, yes, sure. This is where I learned to add a price tag to it if you started it yourself. So I went over and he had used um, 15-minute mud 
and just kept caking it on. This is drywall mud that dries in 15 minutes, and it is harder than concrete, and he did a horrible job doing it. I spent the first two days just sanding with a hand sander, trying to get it down, and that's why I was like, I'm not charging enough. If you started the job yourself, I'm charging you more, because you did a terrible job. Loved the guy dearly, I actually did it for basically nothing, um, just a lot of tears and sorrow uh, for making this commitment to him. So I can do it, but it's the Spirit of God that comes along and helps me have a joyful attitude towards it. Um, so spiritual giftings, natural talents, these abilities, and then lastly, experiences. All of those first three things, your gifting, your talents, your abilities, these are all handcrafted by God specifically for you. In fact, when I think about the uniqueness of every single individual, uh, there is so much love of God, so much intimate, so much unique, so much personal love that God has poured into you, that he has designed you and given you spiritual gifts and given you talents and given you abilities, but oftentimes we stop there, and I don't want to discount the experiences that God has allowed you to have in your life, good or bad. But he's given you specific experiences that nobody else has experienced. They have not experienced the experiences that you've experienced in the way that you've experienced them, in the timeline that they've happened. We have all gone through different things, and this is what a beautiful picture of God is that we'll get into, but only God can take a broken stick and straighten it out. Only God can take, as he said with Joseph, only God can take something that the enemy intended for pure evil and that he turns into a godly purpose. So something that maybe you have done, something that you view as the biggest mistake that you've ever committed in your life, or something that has happened to you that was somebody else's big mistake or somebody else's sin that they did to you, only God and his unbelievable power can use those experiences for his glory. And all of those things, those talents, gifts, abilities, and experiences, make you specifically you, intimately you, lovingly you. And God has this beautiful picture of all of these things. So that when we are praying through the Lord's Prayer, is how we started off the series, and we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, Lord, we want your kingdom to be represented here on earth. We want your will to be carried out here on earth, so help us to obey you as the angels obey you in heaven. That when you give us your word, that when you tell us what to do, that when your Holy Spirit is guiding us into your holiness to become holy as you are holy, that we obey you no matter the cost here on earth. So let's jump into 1 Peter. We're going to start in verse, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through to 12. I will probably be interrupting myself as we go. Peter writes, the first 12 verses are him explaining who you are in Christ. So when you get to that therefore, we want to know what it's there for. So he is explaining this is who you are now in Christ. And he says, therefore, now that you know Christ, with minds that are, full, are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. 
For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Stop there. That idea of foreigners, I want you to read through this passage as you are representing the kingdom of God and what that means. So picture it as this kingdom, because that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about tonight, this kingdom of God, that upon salvation you are now a part of. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are now a representative of the kingdom of God. And so therefore, no matter what earthly kingdom you are in, you are a foreigner living in an earthly kingdom, but you represent this heavenly kingdom, this kingdom of God. So, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God." who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I heard somebody say amen. Feel free to say amen. But the word of the Lord endures forever. That's like five. Come on. And the word, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There we go. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, circle that, holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for, but you, ready, get your pens out, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify glorify God on the day 
he visits us. It's a long passage, and it's very deep. And I want you, to, we're going to go through this passage uh, again for you to go back through this coming week, but I want you to now think of this. You are seeing this kingdom of God. And what does he call you? He calls you a chosen people. If that doesn't make you excited, that an all-holy, all-knowing, all-powerful God has chosen you to be a representative of him and called you a chosen people, called you a royal priesthood, that you, if you know yourself well, like me, I told you I'm going to be very honest this, through this series, not that I'm always very honest, but more bluntly honest. I was cutting my hair this last week. I know what you're thinking. Oh my, he's really good. No, I just have no hair, and I got tired of paying somebody full price for what should be a very discounted haircut. <laughs> so I'm cutting my hair, and I'm looking in the mirror, and you start to have these thoughts, or at least I do. Wow, you are a terrible person. Nobody knows you like I do, as I'm talking to myself in the mirror. And yeah, people can put on a show and make it seem like they've got it all together and people can act confident and competent and all these things. But if you're like me, when it's just you and you looking at each other, you know all the deep down secrets, you know the thought life, you know what you are in your sinful nature. And to stop and think that God has now called me a chosen person. That he has called me as part of his royal priesthood, that royal lineage of the king of kings, and now you and I are princes and princesses. We are son of God, creator God, that because of what Jesus did, that their Jesus is the mediator between man and God, that this priest that they had known all this time was no longer needed because of the Holy Spirit, because of everything that had happened. He calls you this royal in the lineage of an all-perfect creator God, that you are now part of this royal priesthood. And then he says, and holy nation. The drastic difference between how much we represent ourselves by our earthly nation, our earthly kingdom, and what God tells us that we have as part of his holy nation, as part of the kingdom of God, should be so drastic that we find ourselves spending so much time promoting the kingdom of God that we barely have time to promote our earthly kingdom. That holy nation, that holy meaning, as we go back into chapter one, be holy for I am holy. That be set apart for this special purpose as I am holiness and now you are mine and I have chosen you and I've created you and I've made you and I have now want you to represent this nation of people who are set apart for a special purpose to represent me on earth. So like I said, this is going to be the big theological reasoning of why you are who you are. In a couple of weeks we'll go back through but I want to look at it first, and I, I hope this makes sense. Um, I went to three different Bible colleges and one seminary, and I didn't really learn how this worked until I got here and went through a Cyprus project with Neil McGlowan. And it just clicked. And I was talking to Will uh, this last week, and I said, I don't know how it took me so long. Like, why didn't I get this before? And Will said, neither did I. And so I hope to help us understand what the kingdom of God is, what the church is, and then how you as an individual play a part. And then when we go back through this in a couple weeks, we're going to start with you as an individual and your individual giftings and talents and abilities and how it goes up. So we're going to kind of view it as almost a funnel. So at the top of this funnel is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is what 
John the Baptist, we first see him announcing it. We see prophets in the Old Testament announcing with John the Baptist saying, hey, the kingdom of God is near. Then Jesus comes on the scene and says, the kingdom of God is here. And then Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of God. And if you go to Acts chapter 28, it finishes with Paul. The last thing we know about Paul is that he spent all day preaching the kingdom of God. And all through the scriptures, and again, I've spent all this time in college and seminary, and I never fully understood what the kingdom of God is. Not that I fully understand it now, but at least now I understand the purpose behind it, and the purpose that I play in it, and the purpose that you play in it. So to, to try to put this as best as I can to summarize the kingdom of God, which is not easy. The kingdom of God is whenever and wherever God gets what he wants. The kingdom of God is whenever and wherever God gets what he wants. That's that aspect of holiness, that it is set apart for a special purpose, that when we are living out, when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, when we are doing his will, we are living out his kingdom here on earth. It is what we see Jesus doing while he was on earth. He was living out what the kingdom is like. When he is doing the healings, he is restoring things to how he originally created them before sin came into play. And so we are to live in such a way that we are representing what Jesus did. That he loved the unlovely. That he went to the sinners and he went to the sick and he went to the poor and he announced the kingdom of God was here and he did healings to demonstrate this is what the kingdom of God is and he's setting this example for us to do the exact same thing. And so when we are obeying the will of God, whenever and wherever we are, that is what God is getting what he wants and that is how we represent the kingdom of God. If you're not confused yet, let me continue. Can you get that next slide, John? I forgot to put this in my outline on. The kingdom of God is an interactive kingdom. It's his presence interacting with our lives. The kingdom of God is an interactive kingdom. It's his presence interacting with our lives. Let me confuse you more. The Bible says that we can seek after, that we should seek after the kingdom of God, the Bible says that if we do this, we will enter the kingdom of God. We are told that we can receive the kingdom of God. We are told that we can lay hold of the kingdom of God. We will inherit the kingdom of God. We are to announce the kingdom of God, and we are to display the kingdom of God. So that is the kingdom of God being in, is an interactive kingdom, and it's his presence interacting with our lives. And so as we obey his will, wherever we live, learn, work, and play, we are representing the kingdom of God. Please understand, the kingdom is always the ultimate prize. The church is the means to God's end of saturating the earth with the glory of the king and the good news of the kingdom. And as big as the kingdom of God is, you and I, as insignificant as we can feel, have been uniquely created and designed by the king of this kingdom to be a part of his kingdom in both individual and communicable ways. Understand, you are a chosen person. The way that God created you was not on accident. The experiences that you have had to go through in life, whether by your doing or by somebody else's doing, God knew. And only God can use those for his glory. You are a chosen person. And you have been invited into his kingdom, not as the star, 
but as a supporting piece that only God in his power can use. Please understand, and this is going to get rough, God doesn't need you, but God knows how desperately you need him. God knows how desperately I need him. He knows how, how much he loves us, even though that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that he sent his own son to die on the cross for us so that we could have that relationship with him so that life just makes sense when we follow after him. Oh, that's why you've created me this way, God. As I obey you, I found out more and more why you allow me to be the way that I am, why you've allowed me to endure these experiences. This has been the idea of blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the kingdom. Meekness being we take everything that makes us us, and we hand it over to God for his use and his glory, and we say, you just direct me how you designed me. So that is the big picture of the kingdom of God. Next, as we follow this funnel down, is what we call the universal church. The reason we did that with the C is sometimes you hear us refer to it as the big C church. That's what that is. That's a big C. The universal church. Prebon Veng, who is a very smart person, PhD, he said that the church functions as God's kingdom vehicle on earth, intended to be a community that exists to evidence God's story. The church functions as God's kingdom vehicle on earth, intended to be a community that exists to evidence God's story. What I say is building the kingdom is the goal, the church is the strategy. This universal church, that is everybody who believes that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that now all of us are part of this universal church. Going back to the early days of the church, that means that the uh, church at Ephesus, the church at Antioch, the church at Jerusalem, these different cities that we see mentioned in Scripture, there was just this church. It's as though all the churches that we partner with and know of, we just called ourselves the Church of Somerville. That's the universal church. That we all come together as local churches, which we'll get into in a minute, but we function under the umbrella of the universal church. The universal church is the body and bride of Christ. This is what Jesus says, I came to earth to die to, so that you, my body and my bride of Christ, that he loves us even with all of our imperfections. He loves us as only a perfect Savior could love his bride. That we now play a part as living out as the body of Christ in the universal and local church. Uh, the church's goal is to function as salt and light, which we talked about back in Matthew 5, that we are to be a city on a hill, that people who are in darkness can look up and say, that's a safe place for me to go, where I will experience love and joy and hope of people representing the God that they serve. And in Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus is talking to Peter, he says, the gates of hell cannot stand against my church. That's the universal church. By the way, the picture there is the kingdom of darkness, and their gates are closed, and they're on the defensive. And it is Christ's followers, it is the universal church, it is his followers, we are on the offensive. We are attacking the kingdom of Satan, and its gates cannot hold us. We are promised we have the victory. We are promised that those gates will burst. We are constantly plucking people out of that kingdom and inviting them into the story that God has created for them. And we are told that the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. So why do we act like we're on the defensive and we're scared so often? Side note. 
So we have the kingdom of God, we have the universal church, which drops down into the local church, or the small c church. There. The local church is the local expression of the universal church. The local church is made up of individuals who play a role in their gifting and abilities, and they come together and they function in unity. And I very specifically use the word unity there because there's a big difference between unity and uniformity. Uniformity is everybody looks the same, talks the same, believes the same, votes the same, writes the same, speaks the same language. Unity is people from all tongues, tribes, nations, different thoughts come together and they demonstrate unity that you can only find in Christ because the goal of what Christ wants is bigger than the goal of what we want as human beings. So we come together and we each play a role in this local church, uh, which is made up of qualified leaders, which are given different names in scriptures. So I summarize them by saying shepherds or, or leaders, which are called pastors and overseers and elders, depending on uh, where in scripture and what city you are in, and made up of servers, which are made up of deacons and deaconesses. And then it is made up of individuals who are playing their role in the local church using the different giftings and abilities and talents and experiences that they have had to play this part in the local church. The local church falls apart pretty regularly. I think I know of three churches that have closed their doors just in Somerville this last year. Why? Because the local church, even if you go back to scripture and we see the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, I was at a conference years ago and the guy said, when's the last time you saw a tweet from the church at Ephesus? You don't. Why? Well, Ephesus is abandoned. The water overran it, it's corroded, and it broke down. It's just ruins that you can go see from a distance. So the local church doesn't last forever as a local church. Hope Church is not promised next Saturday night. The belief is that as part of the local church, we partner with other expressions of the local church. Uh, In the early Roman days, they did not have a weekend. They just worked, and it was seven days a week. And they didn't have weekends, so they didn't have a weekend service. They had services located all over the place. As they went into persecution, they met in caves and they met in homes. And we see this in closed countries all over the world. And so it was a universal church that fell under a city name. Since then, we've created denominations and we've created all sorts of different things. And we fall into different patterns and we fall into different buildings. We fall into different local churches. But the goal is that all the local churches are serving the kingdom of God, that we are constantly promoting the kingdom of God, representing the kingdom of God, and that the local church plays a part in this universal church of everyone who calls on Christ as Savior throughout the entire world. So this means that we collaborate with other local expressions of the universal church to display the kingdom of God here on earth. Like I've said, if you're visiting churches and you ask the pastor, can you give me names of other churches I could also visit? And they said, we did it. Like, we are the church. No reason to go visit. Walk out, find a new church. Don't trust that pastor. And I was brought up in churches who our thought was, we've done it. How can you call yourself a Christian and go to that other church in town? We did it. We're the church. So, Unfortunately, only seven years ago, I thought the same thing. I thought you were to come and you were to bake a church and you just hope that people leave other churches when they realize how awesome you are and they make your church name great and you promote your logo and you get a brand and you make sure everybody knows it, that you're just better than the other churches. And it was sitting in this Cyprus 
uh, project training with church planners and other pastors that I was just crushingly convicted that God laid on our hearts of saying, like, instead of trying to be that, and you've heard me say, if all the other churches are tile, we want to be the grout. The church makes up a beautiful mosaic here in Somerville. I have loved the example that has been set by so many other pastors of collaborating and working together. But how do we fill in what's needed? Why? Because we're just playing a role in the kingdom of God to be the local expression, to meet people where they're at, and to promote the kingdom of God and the, lo- the universal church more than ourselves. And that brings us to the individual believer. The individual believer. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. All that was just intro. Now we are into the big part of the message. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. And again, I want you to think through this. Now you as an individual believer who are part of the kingdom of God, representing the universal church, expressing it in the local church, who does God say that you are in your identity here on earth? He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, you can say amen there, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do 
good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That individual believer, we are all, if you know Christ, we are sinners saved by grace and grace alone because of how much God loved you, because God created you, because God intimately loves you and individually loves you and knows why he created you the way that he did, why he allowed you to go through the experiences that he has. And so when we call on him, we are now indwelled by the Holy Spirit. God didn't just create us and say, hey, believe in me, I'm out. He created us. He sent his son to die for us and raise again, defeating sin and death. And now when we call on him, he has given us his word. He has indwelled us by the Holy Spirit. It says he continues to give us his incomparable riches that only an all-knowing God can give. And then he says "Then you are God's handiwork. Remember that next time you're beating yourself up about who you are or you think you're just not good enough, you are God's handiwork. An all-perfect creator God made you specifically how he wanted you. And you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's not just enough that he created you in a lovingly way. He also says, I have these things that only you can accomplish because of how I created you. And he continues to pour out his riches on us. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul is again writing, and he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Stop there. Jars of clay is not a compliment. Jars of clay are basically what our modern-day styrofoam cups are. Uh, Any archaeological dig, they find jars of clay heaped up on jars of clay. Why? They were just cheap. It's what you carried stuff in. And they were cheap, and they'd fall, and they'd break easy, and they took them to the jars of clay dump, which is actually a thing in archaeological digs. They just, they broke, they fell, they were cheap. People made them themselves. So but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The only way that I can describe it here on earth is it's taking a broken, crushed styrofoam cup That's who we are. We are broken and crushed. We are basically worthless without God. And he has taken a gold bar and placed it for safekeeping in this crushed styrofoam cup. And the world thinks, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? But God says, look how powerful I am. A gold bar does not do it justice to God's glory, by the way. That in our cracks and our breaks, where people said that can't hold water anymore, instead it is the glory of God that is shining out of those, demonstrating his power and his power alone, that only he can bring value to what other things thought was worthless. And God says, how do you know I'm a powerful God? I'm using Rob. Or I'm using fill in the blank. That's how powerful of a God I am. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. This will be the next page. Starting in verse 11, he continues, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you, 
again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There it is. That's a, the mix in identity. Are you living for yourself or are you living for he who died for you? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we, sinners, we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, stop there. God has created you. God knows you. He's all-knowing. He knows what you are capable of. He knows what you think. But out of his love and because when he looks down on us when we are in Christ, he sees Jesus. He sees his son's blood covering us, paying the price for our sins. And now we are called God's co-workers. Have you ever thought about that? God's holy creator, all-knowing, all-loving God. We are his co-workers as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, that we represent his kingdom here on earth. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is who, just three passages that God tells you that you are as an individual believer. So when we see the big uh, funnel, if you will, that it starts with the kingdom of God and the universal church, and then your part in the local church, but then you as an individual believer are a representative of God wherever you live, learn, work, and play. What is your identity? Your identity that the world tells you, it just doesn't matter. What is your identity and what God tells you who you are? He's the one that created you. He's the one that gave you purpose. He's the one that has laid out good works that only you can accomplish because he created you to do them. In the words of the book Unique, Will Mancini says, only you can be a professional you. Stop trying to be a professional somebody else. That brings us to the same homework that we've been going through. If you did not get a handout, I believe they're on the back table, I encourage you, I implore you to get one. The saying that we have been starting this with, the gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. Have you ever stopped and asked God, how have you created me to serve your kingdom? Ed Welch tells us that so often we tend to pray for happiness and not holiness. 
We seek out happiness. We, have, we worship ha- earthly happiness, but God tells us to be holy as he is holy. Have you sought God out? Have you asked him, how have you created me? How have you created me to be holy? How have you created me to be set apart for a special purpose to serve your kingdom? How do I do this in my individual life? How do I do this in a local church expression of your universal church so that I am obeying you and serving with the ultimate goal, the kingdom of God? So here's your take-home questions with a little bit of a twist this week. These are the questions for you to ask in community group regarding to your abilities, talk to you with your spouse, your children, roommates, neighbors, whatever. Find somebody. Questions to ask for you to ask. Number one, we've mentioned this before, what are you hearing from God? And again, are you hearing from God? Well, I'm going to give you a way how you can hear from God. Ready? Read his Bible. So here's what I'm going to ask you as a follow-up question. This week, I want you to study, open up the Bible, hear from God, and ask this question, who does God say that you are in his word? And there's these passages up there that I want you to walk through throughout the week, every day. Who does God say that you are in his word? Okay, this is just the verses to start with, by the way. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. And you could put 2 Peter chapter 1. I forgot to add that one. I can't remember the exact verses. So what are you hearing from God? What does God say that you are in his word? The next question, how are you being challenged? How, when you focus on God telling you who you are in his word, how does that challenge you in your personal life? How does that challenge you where you are? How does that challenge your thought life when we're chasing after these phantoms telling us what we should do and how we should do it, as opposed to what God tells us who we are and how we are to obey him, that we are to be holy for he is holy, that we are to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the last question, what needs to happen for you to obey? When you hear from God and you feel challenged, when we are challenged at there must be a response to it. And then what needs to happen for you to obey? If you're not sure what that means, think, what do you need to say no to? What do you need to say yes to? What are the things that God is putting in your life when he calls you an ambassador of his kingdom? What are the things that now take priority over the other things? Hope Church, Please understand, you are loved. You are unbelievably loved. One of the things that is constantly in Scripture that we've read in a couple passages is love others. Why? Because others are terrible. Others hurt you. Others mock you. Others gossip about you. Others slander you. And what our response is as we represent God is to love them. First John tells us that If we say we love God but hate our brother, we're liars. So as you represent as the ambassadors of the kingdom of God, how are you loving others? You're a representative of the kingdom of God. We play it out in the universal church. 
We, do our, we use our giftings and abilities and talents in the local church expression, and then as an individual believer, we live out as a representative of God everywhere where we live, learn, work, and play. So who does God say that you are? When you leave here tonight, I want you to know, more than anything, you are loved. That God did not make a mistake with your life. And that even the mistakes that you have made, God can use for his glory when we surrender them to him. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you that even though you know our thoughts and our actions, you still desired a relationship with us because we are your creation. We are made in your image. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives, that we would go to your word and not walk away, but that we would call out to you for continual help. Lord, I thank you that you love us, that you gave us a way to salvation, that you love us enough that you gave us your word, that you love us enough that you gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to help us grow into Christ-likeness. Lord, I pray that this isn't lost on us. I pray that we would use this as a conviction to crave your word, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never called out to you that, as 2 Corinthians said, that today would be the day of salvation, that you would work in their hearts and in their lives, that they, you would call them to yourself. Lord, I pray that we leave here changed people to glorify you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.